Support for Motley Fool Money comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. This episode of Motley Fool Money also brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again when you can have a brilliant, hyper-fast, super-simple Wi-Fi system with Eero. And now the second-generation Eero is tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com and at checkout, select Overnight Shipping and then just enter the promo code FOOL. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hilton. Joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger, and from Supernova, David Kretzman. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey. Such a big week for earnings news, we have decided to forego having a guest. We're going to dip into the full mailbag, and as always, we'll give an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the social network. Shares of Facebook hitting a new all-time high this week after second quarter profits came in higher than expected. Maddie, they're just printing money over there at Facebook. They absolutely are, Chris. Advertising revenue up 47% to $9.2 billion. I mean, 47% growth rate at this stage is just incredible. And remember, 87% of that now is mobile. And as we talked about earlier this week, years ago, we just said, there's no way Facebook's going to make money on mobile. They can't do it. And they, they are, and they're making most of their money on mobile these days. Operating profits were up 47% as well. The number to me, daily active users up 17% to $1.3 billion. I know on the monthly active basis, they've crossed that $2 billion mark. But the daily active users to $1.3 billion is just incredible. I think that's where advertisers are probably going to see. That's what they're excited about. That's where they're getting the ROI from. So, just outstanding numbers for Facebook all around. Yeah, David, you think about mobile advertising, and it's basically a duopoly between Google and Facebook. Yeah, they're, they're the two giants in the space, and that probably will continue for quite some time. I think the, the biggest question mark with Facebook going forward is, what will they do about decelerating revenue with their core platform, which they've been warning for for over a year now. And obviously, this quarter's results, as Matt pointed out, still stellar. But at some point, they're going to need to find other areas to to grow that top line, whether it's Instagram, which seems to be going well so far. But then Messenger and WhatsApp are both, I think, have, have bigger question marks on them as far as monetization. Well, think about Facebook's position. I mean, if you're an advertiser, you're, you're literally an idiot if you're not spending <laughs> money on that platform. I mean, that's such a great competitive advantage right there. And, and I mean, that really is Google and Facebook in a nutshell, right? I mean, those are the two places where the eyeballs are going. And I think, furthermore, when you look at what Facebook did with, did with Instagram, and we talk about this every quarter, that Instagram acquisition was obviously sheer genius in hindsight. Brilliant. Now, sort of the flip side of that coin, though, is I don't know that necessarily, I'm not necessarily convinced that WhatsApp or um, Messenger are going to bear the same kind of fruit. And I mean, we're seeing at least this. They're getting the ball rolling and putting some ads in Messenger. Uh, WhatsApp, it doesn't sound like it's terribly unique. There are other imitators out there. And that was a very, very big chunk of change they dropped on WhatsApp, too. So, I, at the end of the day, it's probably not going to matter anyway. And that's really just the beauty of this of this position where sizing and financial resources are a competitive advantage, indeed. Um, I'm just going to be very interested to see over the course of the next five and ten years if Messenger and WhatsApp sort of bear the same fruit that Facebook, 
uh, now Instagram are, are currently bearing. Yeah, I mean, I think in the near term, it's really all about video right now. If they can, they're going to try to have a lot of the same success that YouTube's been having over in Alphabet. That's where the big investing dollars go. But to Dave's point, you know. The Messenger and WhatsApp, it's, it's going to be key for them to try to monetize those. And the idea of putting ads in front of people's texts on their phone, I mean, it just seems like a very, very hard place to work. But we've seen it work in China and other places. And so that's probably Facebook's next move. Amazon's second quarter report featured a lot more investing than Wall Street was probably hoping for. Profits came in much lower than expected. Jason, the stock dipped after the report on Friday. It, Previously in the week, it had hit a new all-time high, though. Sure, it's been a wonderful run for a wonderful business. Every once in a while, um, Amazon reminds us uh, that they have that ability to to just spend, 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 and that's what they're doing in fulfillment, in content, uh, really. And it's all about building out that prime uh, value offering, right? I mean, it's growing prime members and giving us as consumers. More value with that relationship, and so every few quarters you see the market kind of take a step back and sort of rethink this for a second, and then quickly come back to to their senses and saying, "Listen, if anybody's going to get in there and compete with Amazon on any meaningful level, I mean, it's not it's not just capital you need. I mean, there is just a lot of time has gone by. I don't know that there's any way that any any sort of other retail presence out there can catch up, and I think. Proof of that is that we're seeing more and more retail partners deciding deciding to partner up with with Amazon versus trying to compete with them. I mean, Nike, for example, it's like the old saying goes. I mean, if you can't beat them, join them. And I think a lot of a lot of retail presences out there are are sort of coming to that realization today. Amazon Web Services still an incredible business. Margins came down a little bit in that side of the business as they build that out, and and certainly competition on that front is is growing with Microsoft and and Google. But all in all, I mean, another successful quarter, twenty five percent top line growth. This is a beast of a company. We own a million dollar portfolio, and we're going to keep on holding it for many years to come. Yeah, to go back to Facebook for a second, and this didn't get a lot of headlines in terms of their latest quarter. But one of the things when you dig into that conference call for Facebook is they're starting to tighten up their expenses a little bit, sort of tightening the range of how much they're going to spend. And on the flip side, you look at Amazon. This quarter, they spent more on capex than Microsoft and Google combined. It's incredible, but. It's that 25% top line growth. I mean, how many companies that are 22 years old now are growing, can grow at that rate? It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And I think there's a real line, there's a straight line to $30 billion in free cash flow for this business in five years, really. And the quickest way to get there is by keep growing the top line. And I think, I hope investors get that. I know we get that at the full. It's also the nature of these two businesses. I mean, they're very, very polar opposites in the sense that Amazon is spending all of this money. Trying to make our experience as customers better and better every day, Facebook is kind of stuck in this vortex of like trying to figure out how to make your experience less miserable while still <laughs> making some money. I mean, all they and I mean, I'm not True. saying this all. I say all in quotes. It's an ad company, right? I mean, that that's it, it's not like people go to Facebook saying, "Hey, I wonder what great ads are playing today." Uh, so I mean, it's it's a delicate balance for them, and Amazon doesn't have to worry about that balance. And the beauty of all of the money that they invest is it continues to make consumers' lives better. And on the flip side of that coin, it makes those third-party uh, 
customers of Amazon's retail network, the people that are selling us stuff, it makes their lives better. So, they win on both sides of the coin. They're a tremendous advantage to their model. Yeah, and I think it's actually telling that the stock is only down 2 or 3% on this news. I think a couple years ago, if Amazon had reported a quarter like this where they're heavily reinvesting in the business, Wall Street wasn't so forgiving with that. But Jeff Bezos, unfortunately, I hope he enjoyed his few hours in the sun as the richest man on the planet. Maybe <laughs> maybe he'll still make it there one he'll, day. He'll, he'll get, get there real there. soon. Real soon. Shares of Alphabet down a bit this week. Second quarter revenue rose 21%, but David, this is a search company and the cost per click is going in the wrong direction. Yeah, they're essentially making less revenue per click, but the number of total clicks are still going up. So that's why their top line is going up, but they are seeing pressure on margins, especially this quarter. Partly that, that's due to the biggest growth contributors right now being YouTube and mobile, where the cost per click is lower. But here's why I don't think that's something investors should worry too much about. YouTube has 1.5 billion monthly active viewers right now, and people watch an average of 60 minutes a day on their phones and tablets. So, that's an incredibly valuable and engaged audience. I think they'll be able to crack that code at some point down the road. They continue to test out different formats. They're no longer running 30-second ads on YouTube. They're doing a lot of six-second bumper ads, which seem to be more successful for a lot of brand advertisers on YouTube. So. When you have such a, va- a vast and engaged audience, I, I'm not too worried about quarter-to-quarter numbers like this. If I send YouTube a check for $100, do you think they'll stop running those Groupon ads? I know you're not a fan of those, Chris. Maybe oh maybe you gosh. can beat them out there. They make me pine for the Trivago guy. <laughs> <laughs> Another big day for Baidu. Second quarter profits for the Google of China came in big, and shares of Baidu up more than 11% on Friday. Here's what stuns me, Matt. This is a company that is only, in terms of market cap, it's a $77 billion company. That seems small, given how dominant they are. It, it, it does seem very, very small. And, and, and that's, I think, one of the most compelling things about Baidu, because it's operating in a market that's conceivably bigger than Alphabet's, yeah, and, yet, and, and does virtually the same thing. Uh, yeah, this was a great quarter for Baidu. This is the first time, really, that their businesses sort of lapped the problems last year, when the, when the Chinese government was cracking down on some of their advertising customers because of the uh, kind of dodgy medical ads that they were displaying uh, in search. They've gotten past that issue now. They've tightened up their advertising ranks. Uh, and really, what stood out to me was revenue was up 14%, but the number of advertisers was down 21%. And so the average revenue per advertiser was up 32%. So they've shrunk the advertising base, but it's obviously a high, a much, much more quality, um, more uh, aligned uh, advertiser base. Um, two-year high for the stock, I would just say that you know they're really doubling down on AI and the search business, which is great, and uh, video content, which is, I think is the right ways to go. They've been kind of investing a lot in food and travel and other things that just haven't gained a lot of traction. But doubling down on video, especially, I think, with IGE, which is their Netflix-type uh, service, that's going to be big for them. They recently signed a licensing deal with Netflix for some of their content. Uh, and I think that's a big area of growth for, for Baidu. So, when you look at Alphabet, which has a market cap of uh, somewhere eight times, eight or nine times Roughly. the size of Baidu, is Baidu a more attractive proposition for anyone who's thinking about investing in search? I would I want to say so, but I you know you you got to factor in the risks there. And this past year and a half, you've seen what operating in China can be like for a company like Baidu. And so you take that into account. I do think Baidu's growth rate should be should be higher than Google Alphabet's over time, but it comes with a lot more risk. Coming up, earnings from some of the biggest names in food and beverage. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. I like beer. 
It makes me a jolly good fellow. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and David Kretzman. Second quarter profits for Boston Beer Company came in much higher than expected, sending shares of Boston Beer up more than 15% on Friday. Jason, have you been doing your part to help boost sales this summer? Always, always doing my part, Chris. And I, you, you mentioned, I mean, they, the, the numbers they turned in were higher than expected. This is a big pop for, for this stock today. I tell investors to be very careful not to make the big leap to thinking everything is just back to, to just fine with these guys. I mean, they grew the top line 1%. It wasn't like it was, you know, <laughs> Double-digit growth. <laughs> uh, they didn't guide down, and, and I think that was a big deal. This past year has been really a, a series of misses and revisions uh, guiding downward as, as they just continue to uh, be assaulted <laughs> on all fronts in, in, in this competitive craft beer market, and that's not going to stop. Um, a lot of the success for Boston Beer actually came from um, robust sales in the Twisted Tea and the truly spiked and sparkling hard seltzer categories. And those are relatively new, and so that's neat to see the performance there. But I have a feeling this may take a turn, kind of like uh, with what we saw with the Angry Orchard cider uh, category. At some point, the novelty wears off, and that and that sort of comes back down to earth. So, I mean, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's all doom and gloom for these guys. There's still plenty of competition out there, and reasons to be concerned. Um, by the same token, it is a good business with a very strong brand. Jim Cook was very clear on the call. They are going to continue investing in that brand. They saw a decent performance from uh, Sam Summer at the beginning of, of, of the summer here, and it seems like it's carrying on over uh, through the remainder of the, uh, the season here, which is good. That's a big seller for them. Um, and they narrowed their earnings range a little bit for, for the year, which, which raised the low end of that guidance. So it was a good quarter. It was a respectable quarter. Uh, still plenty of work to do. Yeah, one of the things I thought was interesting is that Jim Cook also on the call kind of actually called out for the first time a slowdown kind of in the overall craft beer market. I think we've been hinting at that and seeing signs of it, but seeing him call that out now, and I think our, one of our thesis in MDP for a while was, once the actual overall market slows down, that's when you'll see Boston Beer's strength kind of yeah. shine through. It, and it'll be interesting to see if that actually happens. Yeah, that really makes it difficult for those small operators to prosper at all, because they just don't have the same cost structure advantage that Boston Beer does. So, there really is an advantage there in, the, in that uh, you know, the production facility that they have. Starbucks down big on Friday after the company's third quarter report. Revenue was light, guidance was lowered, and Starbucks announced it is closing all of its Tivana stores. Uh, Maddie, I'm not selling my shares, but I totally understand why other people are selling their shares. Right. I mean, guidance was the killer for one, for one thing. I mean, they they said in for the full year now the the revenue was going to come on the lower end of their eight to ten percent range. They also lowered their EPS estimates. Uh, and yeah, the, the, closing the Tivana stores, they're still having some bottlenecks with mobile ordering. So there was just a lot of, you know, kind of news out there saying, you know, this is things are okay at Starbucks, but not not great, and certainly not really getting better. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll point to the comps. I mean, there are five percent comps in the U.S. I mean, investors were complaining forever about not sort of being below that number. The seven percent higher comps in China, I thought was was pretty strong. And you know, the, the Tivana story is interesting. I mean, they're shuttering all the stores. 
this is this is a business they bought for six hundred twenty million dollars about five years ago. They're going to do about one point six billion in branded Tivana sales in Starbucks stores. So you could argue that well, it's kind of disappointing that this this retail concept didn't really work out for Tivana, but certainly the brand it's creating value for for Starbucks. Yeah, I think a lot of people will point to that acquisition and say, oh yeah, see, we told you back when they did it, it wasn't a good one. I mean, let's be very clear that was not about that retail presence. That was free if it worked out for them. But it was about getting that brand and in, in sort of expanding that menu of offerings. And you just look to the success of the Tazo Tea brand to this point. They're just doing the same thing with Tivana. I mean, they just now they don't have to maintain this network of, of stores and malls where traffic is basically doing nothing but declining anyway. Yeah, and speaking to Tivana, they also announced a partnership pretty recently with Anheuser Busch. Well, they'll be rolling out prepared Tivana beverages. So that's another lever they can pull with that brand. One yellow flag that stuck out to me is that the number of rewards members that they have in that loyalty program has actually plateaued at 13.3 million. It's the same number they had in the last quarter, still up 8% year over year, but that's a number I would hope they can keep ticking up steadily each quarter. Shares of McDonald's hitting a new high this week after global same-store sales in the second quarter grew more than 6.5%. David, they've got 37,000 locations. How are they getting that kind of growth? Steve Easterbrook, that's the the <laughs> short answer. He's breathed new life into the company since he became CEO in 2015. And he's really done a lot to push the technological side of the business. Uh, they're rolling out mobile order and pay to the majority of locations worldwide by the end of this year. Delivery is promising. They did a pilot test with Uber Eats in January, and they found that uh, people who order uh, a McDonald's delivery, they end up paying close to two times the average order size. So they're expanding that pilot to 4,000 stores in the US and Australia and other markets. And then within the stores themselves, they're working with the franchisees to renovate the, the restaurants to the experience of the future, uh, which includes uh, adding some touchscreen kiosks in there and just uh, adding different options as far as ordering goes. So all these different initiatives seem to be driving more people to, uh, to, uh, to the stores. It's working out well. You know, it's interesting because we've seen this over the last couple of years and probably first and foremost with Panera Bread and Ron Chick's comment about the mosh pit and the move to mobile ordering. And it's one of those things, Jason, that you want to see if you own any kind of a restaurant stock or a, you know, a coffee stock, that sort of thing. But they got to execute on the back end. And so this is good for McDonald's that they're making this move. But I also hope they realize that they have a challenge in terms of throughput. Well, there's no question. It adds another dynamic of labor, essentially, to that store that they may not be fully prepared for. Uh, so, so, yeah, you're right not to, not to make that leap to, to automatic success. I mean, I think about this experience of the future, and this stuff's it's getting bandied about like it's losing all meaning. But let's be very clear here. I mean, if we're talking about experience of the future, I mean, we were talking about this back when Bojangles was coming public, Chris. And I mean, you remember the experience of the future with the Jangler, right? Yeah. You go in there and there's a biscuit theater. You're watching them make the biscuits, Chris. Now, that is the experience of the future. Are you just bitter because we're not talking about Bojangles Quarter? Oh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hit Chipotle real quick. We got about a minute left. Uh, they came out with their second quarter results. The stock was actually up slightly this week, but it kind of seems, Maddie, like uh, investors are holding their breath with this stock because it came down recently with the incident in Virginia. And as a shareholder, I have to say, I'm still not wild about the way Steve Ells, the CEO, talks about 
their food safety protocol. Yeah, I mean, it, it, with everything, with a lot of things he said, he's really he's always touting what Chipotle is doing. He's putting the company on a very high pedestal, but then you just see instances like this. And I know I think there's a bit of a media bias which gets Chipotle kind of you know top of mind with everyone. And but again, this is a big setback. I mean, it's yeah, it's one store. It's not related to their food. But we were just sort of seeing a pickup in same-store sales. I can't imagine things are going to get better the rest of the year. Don't underestimate queso. Possibly a national <laughs> rollout coming mid-September. I'm still bullish. I think Chipotle can, can turn this around. Up next, we're not going to Las Vegas, but we will be talking about gaming stocks. Just not that kind of gaming. Don't worry, we'll, we'll explain. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Bright light city gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul. All right, before we get to the gaming stocks, I want to say thanks to our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details so that you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and David Kretzman. If you needed more evidence that the war on cash is real, all you had to do was look at PayPal's latest results. Second quarter revenue was up, payment volume was up, new accounts were up. Everything was up, Matty. It's all up. It's all been up for PayPal. Stock price too this year. It's it's incredible. I mean, revenue was up eighteen percent. Uh, to me, the the number that really stood out was just the number of uh, payment transactions growing one point eight billion, twenty three percent year over year. Total payment volume uh, hit 106 billion. That's the first time they've exceeded 100 billion uh, for PayPal. It's amazing. They also added, by the way, 6.5 million new customer accounts. That's the largest quarterly gain in two years. So everything points to that this network that. PayPal has, and it's a two-sided network, which you have the you know the customers, the users, and you have merchants. They're all interacting and transacting more than ever before. PayPal, you know, has now has partnerships with pretty virtually all the major credit card companies. It also has part, uh, you know, deals with uh, Apple, uh, Samsung, and recently signed a deal with Baidu to get into their digital wallets. So it's just PayPal's now pretty much more available than it's ever been, and it's it's more popular than it's ever been. I don't I don't see that changing. Well, and you mentioned the new accounts. I was surprised to learn they've got over two hundred million. People using their PayPal, right? And and by the way, Venmo, which of course is their social payments platform, uh, their transactions there were up a hundred percent year over year. Electronic Arts with another monster quarter. The video game maker's first quarter profit and revenue up big, thanks to high demand from some of their most popular titles. Uh, David, where do you want to start? Well, this they've produced a record one half billion dollars free cash flow over the past year, and and this is really due to digital and, and moving. Online, uh, digital not makes up over 63% of their total sales, and that's largely due to live services on their major titles. Whether you're talking about FIFA, Battlefield, The Sims, NBA Live, Madden, so th- those live services are things like expansion packs to expand the the different maps and uh, formats you can play in the game. You can compete against other players live online, and just to demonstrate the power of this shift to digital, the last 12 months have been the best in Sims history, and that's a franchise that launched in 2000. So, 17 years in, The Sims is doing better than ever due to digital. So, a lot of things to like here. Players are more engaged when they compete against other players live, and I think that lends itself well to the sports titles in EA's uh, franchise, whether you know NBA Live, FIFA, Madden. So, 
I think there's still uh, a lot of room for, for them to expand going forward. How are they doing in terms of managing their costs? Because I think one thing that uh, never fails to get headlines every now and then is video game maker X is spending, you know, insert triple digit, you know, hundreds, millions of dollars on a single game. And I think for some investors, they look at that and they just immediately question, you know, is that worth it? They, they, Electronic Arts actually has higher margins than Activision Blizzard, which for a long time was the, the king as far as that, that goes. But Electronic Arts, over the past several years, has really turned it around. They're targeting a 75% gross margin next year, which you know, it's part of the reason their, their cash flow is just, you know, they're, they're pumping it out. So, they're in a, a strong position. Yeah, it's interesting to see, if you look at all Activision Blizzard, Electronic Arts, Take-Two, now, it's really shifted now to not rolling out 20 new games a year, which used to be how it was in the past. It's really now about investing a ton of money in proven franchises, knowing, spending years to develop them, and knowing that you're going to, you know, knock it out of the park and get probably a billion dollars in revenue. And the interesting thing that the digital sort of revolution has done by cutting out the middleman, GameStop, and all that, they're making more money than ever on these games, and so they can actually afford to spend more on the quality of the games rather than just focusing on rolling out as many games as possible. Sticking with the games and toys, Mattel's second quarter loss was bigger than Wall Street was expecting while Hasbro's second quarter profit came in higher than expected. Uh, Jason, Hasbro's quarter was better by pretty much every measure, which makes me wonder, why are both of these stocks down around 10% this, <laughs> this week? Yeah, very similar reaction from the market on both companies. But this really is a tale of two toy makers, right? I mean, we've talked about this for a while. It, Mattel's shortcomings have really uh, sort of converted into Hasbro's market share gains, more or less. And so, on the Hasbro side, I mean, there's sell-offs where you, where you have to kind of look at the business and say, all right, is, this, is there a problem here that we need to know about? In Hasbro's case, there really isn't. I mean, it was a very good quarter by pretty much every measure. I mean, you could see in the call, management's a little bit reserved when it came to a couple of markets in particular, the UK and Brazil, uh, recognizing some macro headwinds there that, that are beyond their control. International is important for Hasbro. It's almost half of their revenue, uh, somewhere around a third of their operating profit. And Brazil is a very big part of that international segment, so it matters. But there are plenty of catalysts on the horizon for them. You've got this. Uh, what Force Friday coming up? You've got more Frozen stuff coming in the winters. I mean, there's more catalysts than concerns where where it comes to Hasbro. Now with Mattel, the concerns that we had last quarter are still there. I mean, it's it's very hard to get worked up for this business because they just aren't doing the same job at levering uh, le- levering themselves up to to really successful IP. And and so what that is resulting is in is a top line that's challenged. Margins are getting killed. Uh, and, and the dividend is even getting cut on top. So, I mean, investors, I think, are realizing more and more that if you're going to get exposure to this space, go ahead and get it with a company that, that is winning and winning for a reason and shows a lot of reasons to keep on winning. And, and that's clearly Hasbro. Coming up, we'll dip into the full mailbag and share a few stocks on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. All right, before we dip into the full mailbag, I want to say thanks to Eero for supporting this episode of Motley Fool Money. Eero, E E R O, never think about home Wi Fi again. They just introduced the second generation Eero and Eero Beacon. They started in early 2016, and since then, they've learned from hundreds of thousands of systems, making them smarter, faster, 
and more reliable. The new second-generation Eero and Eero Beacon allow you to build a Wi-Fi system that is more perfectly tailored to your home than ever before. More speed and range in the same high-quality, elegant design that people have come to expect. And this newest version is now tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor, which lets you do more simultaneously in every room of your home. And with the addition of a new thread radio, Eero can connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, other sensors, and more. You can expand coverage in any room easily with the Eero Beacon. Simply plug it into a wall, and you're covered. You can add as many Eero Beacons as you want. If there's an outlet, you've got Wi-Fi. Our man Dan Boyd, a man behind the glass on our Market Foolery podcast, just hooked up the Eero system in his home. Loves it. Loves how fast it is. Super easy to set up. And for free overnight shipping, you can just visit Eero.com and at checkout, select Overnight Shipping and then enter the promo code FOOL to make it free. I'm a rich man in pennies, but of what I paid to learn, a wealth of love is worth much more than all my money to burn. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and David Kretzman. You can check out past episodes of Motley Fool Money and all of The Motley Fool's podcasts. Just go to podcasts.fool.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find The Motley Fool. So, just click the subscribe button and take us with you wherever you want, whenever you want. Our email address is radio at fool.com. Sam Waterbury, longtime listener with a question about the war on cash, he writes, One question I have is about Alphabet and Apple, whose Google Wallet and Apple Pay services seem to be competing with the likes of PayPal and Square. Does the size of these tech giants give them an advantage over smaller players, or are the more payments-focused companies better positioned because they aren't concerning themselves with creating phones, computers, cars, etc.? It's a great question. It is a great question, Sam, because there's, there's sort of two sides to the argument. One, I'd say Apple, of course, a company like Apple and Alphabet, but Apple in particular has a tremendous advantage because it is the platform that's in your hand. So if you're oh, going I thought you were going to say they have a tremendous <laughs> advantage. It's called mountains of cash. Oh, well, that too, that too. But I mean, I think in terms of just the phone itself and being the ease of going into anywhere now or most places now and using your phone to pay for things is a tremendous advantage. I mean, and it's it's an easy hurdle for a lot of customers. To do at the same time, though, you know, it, Apple has the hardware, but it doesn't necessarily have the network size that the credit card companies have or the PayPal has, uh, and so, you know, I, I feel like there's in a world with a war on cash, those two sides can certainly exist and win battles here and there. Um, I do think Apple does have an advantage, and if Apple Pay becomes uh, more significant, um, they have a, they could have a major leg up. Yeah, I think one of the things we try to do in investing is identify either sort of a short-term catalyst or a long-term trend where value is going to be created. Clearly, the payments market is just it is the one of the biggest long-term trend opportunities out there, I think. And so that's great for identifying it. And I think to take it one step further, there are going to be multiple winners. I think we've harped on that before on Market Foolery. So looking at it from the perspective of 
finding sort of a basket, a collection of some of the companies that you think are going to uh, benefit the most, and it can range all the way from the big dogs down even to two smaller, riskier plays to help sort of mitigate that risk a little bit. Um, just a great opportunity to always keep an eye on. The the more I look at this, the the harder it is for me to see Visa or Mastercard getting disrupted anytime soon because I feel like they went out no matter whether you're using Apple Pay, PayPal. Whatever platform it is, and that, that they have a global network, so I just think, man, they they are in a dominant position to to win out, regardless of which of those platforms actually gains an edge. Yeah, and I agree. And I would say, just don't discount the idea that there could be consolidation in this market further. We talk about technology companies like PayPal, Square, could be nice fits for companies like Apple, Alphabet, even even a company like Mastercard with that has lots of cash to put to work. Uh, there there could be there could be some acquisitions that can really shake up this uh, this war on cash market for sure. One of the things I like about this question is we see this dynamic play out in other industries where there are opportunities for investors that are essentially pure play and there it's a company or a business that is entirely focused on one thing and then you have sort of the usual suspects of behemoths out there that have a footprint in it as well, whether it's Alphabet or Microsoft or you know insert name of tech giant. Uh, question from Zach Poulin at St. Anselm College. I've been going through each sector of the market and adding all the stocks that I see every day to an Excel spreadsheet. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> It's very time-consuming, and I'm sure that I'm missing many stocks that play a crucial role in our future economy. Is there a better way to learn about stocks in each sector? Obviously, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Microsoft are known to many investors, but where do I find the hidden gems that aren't talked about a lot or publicized in the world? Uh, great question, and, and kudos to Zach for being in college and getting started in investing in individual stocks. So, yeah, he's a bit of a stock jock. I yeah. kind, of, kind of was myself in college, so nice. I admire that. I yeah, I mean, I think I I, I often did that too. I'd, I'd make lists of, of companies and ones that I've heard of, other other ones I'd find just by you know searching around. Uh, and I think it's the great thing is you can find companies that are sort of related um, to companies you might follow on a regular. Basis like one one hack that I like to use Zach is I simply go to Google Finance now and then and I'll enter a company say Nike and you'll enter that ticker and, and you scroll down and right below it it'll 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 have a long list of related companies um, you know companies that you might something that you've heard of like Adidas maybe Deckers but other ones that you haven't heard of maybe Skechers VF Corp Li Ning which is a Chinese shoe company and so. You can find sort of hidden companies doing a very simple trick like that, uh, and then that's sort of your search, you know, your beginning point for more research on those names. One of the things I like about that is that um, there's no discerning amongst competitors on Google Finance uh, with regard to size, right? Um, which is great because if you are looking for smaller companies, as Zach says, the hidden gems, then you want to know well what are other companies that are in this space. Um, that are in the, you know one tenth the size of whatever is the market leader. Yeah, and another option similar to what Matt mentioned is there. There are a lot of free stock screeners online. Uh, we have one at caps.fool.com. A lot of other sites will have them, and you can search by market cap, by industry, by revenue growth, all sorts of different factors, and that can be a way to narrow down your search and look through companies and figure out which ones you're interested in following and. 
you can get ongoing coverage. I'm not being paid to say this, but at Fool.com, uh, we, we have a lot of writers who will cover these different sectors and companies each quarter and on a regular basis. And that can be a way to get a better understanding of a, an industry and the companies within that industry over time. Uh, one other thing I'll uh, add to sort of dovetail off of what David just said is um, I find it really helpful that there are all of these um, niche media outlets for different parts of the investing universe. So, earlier in the week when I was doing some research on Chipotle and their latest quarter, I found a very helpful article on, you know, that mainstream publication we're all familiar with, Food Safety News. <laughs> so, you know, it's just one more benefit to uh, all the options that are out there. Well, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. I mean, along with all of these great ideas that that David Matt have, I mean, I think it's just keeping that Curiosity level always up there and reading. I mean, that's it. You just keep on reading, keep on learning, keep on keeping plugged in. And um, boy, that stuff comes at you when you're not even looking for it sometimes. Let's go to our man behind the glass, Steve Rhodes. It's not quite time for radar stocks, but uh, Steve is an experienced investor. Uh, two questions for you, Steve. First, do you have a, a piece of advice for Zach Poulin, uh, uh, an investing hack, if you will, when it comes to research? Uh, and my second question is what's your favorite obscure publication? Uh, okay, uh, favorite obscure publication. I'll start there. Is I think it's called uh, Broadcast, and we I get it sent to me from time to time. Broadcast and cable. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's that, or no, it's streaming media. It's streaming media. That is my favorite. The uh, advice I would give is find things you're interested in. Uh, specifically, if you're a computer gamer, if you're interested in cards, if you're interested in something else, and uh, dig around. Uh, find out who's making the rims for your, you know, the car that you're buying. Find out who's making the parts that go in the computer you just built, uh, the skateboard wheels, whatever it is. Dig in. There's someone. There's a, usually a public company related. Uh, it's a great point, and particularly as we are a couple of months away from the new uh, iPhone unveiling. A nice reminder from Steve that um, for all the big name companies out there that are producing whatever a certain thing is. Chances are there are a lot of companies, in some case public companies, that are the suppliers to that network. And that can be, I mean, we've seen that with the iPhone, uh, just to pick one device where there are some companies that just come in and, and they're just knocking the cover off the ball in terms of their stock performance. Uh, great question from Zach, and, uh, and keep it up. All right, we got a little time to get to the stocks on our radar this week. Uh, Steve will hit you with a question, and you know what? We've got the time. You can hit him back with a question Ooh. about the stock or just uh, life in general if you want. David Kretzman, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? I'm looking at a brand new IPO, Redfin, ticker RDFN. They just went public today. This is a web-based real estate database and brokerage operating in 84 cities in the U.S. Over the past year, they've generated $285 million in sales. They have a slightly disruptive model to the traditional real estate brokerage model. Uh, Redfin pays their agents a base salary, so they're not just on commission like traditional real, estates, uh, real estate agents. They, so, they're able to charge lower commissions to buyers and sellers. They're going after that massive $75 billion real estate commissions market in the U.S. So, there's a big market opportunity. They're going after a bigger market than someone like Zillow, and I think in a more disruptive way. The stock is up uh, 40% today. It's first day public, but the market cap is still $1.6 billion, and I could see this being a lot bigger company down the road. Steve, question about Redfin? First off, I love Redfin. I think they have the best real estate search engine out there. If you go to redfin.com and search around in your area, uh, it's it's just amazing. They've just done a terrific job with finding homes, looking at them. It's just terrific. But the problem I have with Redfin is, what if Redfin doesn't serve your area? You can go and search, and it's like, they're not in Michigan. 
what what's up? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a bummer for them. They're in the, the major metro markets, and they are starting to expand into those smaller towns and cities. But uh, yeah, that, that is still an issue for them as they expand. Have you used Redfin to actually buy or sell a home, Steve? Uh, or would you? I have, uh, would I? Yes, I would. I've not used them, but I use them to research homes all the time. Jason Moser, what are you looking at? Yeah, I'll stick with DK's theme on housing here. Ellie May, ticker E-L-L-I. Oh, man, the stock got pummeled on earnings this week, Chris. Um, and actually, this could work out pretty well for investors. But it's a big whiff, a big guy down on lower mortgage volumes. And as, as we know, Ellie May is, is the mortgage software provider. Um, it, it looks like the... So, so Fannie and Freddie... Uh, Typically forecast mortgage volume, and as we move from refinancing to to a purchase dominated market, Fannie and Freddie forecasts are for those volumes to decline about 17 percent from 2016. We've been really paying close attention to this one in NDP. We own a small position in it right now, a winning position. We've been waiting for a pullback on the stock, and we had identified about a 90 dollars price target. This may actually open up a window of opportunity because really it looks like the business is performing very well. It's just at a tough part in the cycle. So, Ellie May. Steve, question about Ellie May? Uh, housing appears to be very expensive where we live in the metro DC area, uh, but I'm hearing that home ownership is still at record lows. How can that be? How does that get resolved? Well, it is at this point in time a very low inventory levels, which is keeping a lot of uh, a lot of prospective buyers on the sidelines. And the ones who are going in there are typically offering cash up front, really to uh, make the best offer, which is is you know, one way those prices get a little bit artificially pushed up. Uh, Steve, I just got a text message from my daughter. Apparently, our dog uh, ate the pink highlighter in our house, and of course, it was in a room with carpet. So my question is, yeah, I got any tips on how I can get pink highlighter out of a carpet before my wife gets home? No, thanks, <laughs> Matt Argusinger. What are you looking at? I'm uh, I'm looking at Arcos Dorados. The ticker is A R C O. If you know Spanish, that translates to Golden Arches, which might give you a little bit of a hint as to what this company does. But look, we talked about McDonald's early in the show. It's amazing the renaissance the company is having under Easterbrook. If you like McDonald's. Then consider investing in Arcos Dorados, which is the company which has the exclusive right to own, operate, and franchise McDonald's stores in most of Latin America, including Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, and most of the Caribbean. Uh, they, they operate or franchise nearly 2,200 restaurants. Been a tough couple of years for Arcos Dorados with same store sales, with the eco- economic situa- situation in Brazil uh, and elsewhere, but the same store sales have just started to turn around. I think this could be the company uh, on the stock at the beginning of an inflection point. Steve? So I think of McDonald's as being the quintessential American fast food. Is there a quintessential fast food in Latin America? Is there is there an analog here? Outside of tacos, which McDonald's doesn't do, I don't think so. But they have some very specific things within the Arcos Dorados restaurants that are native to the region so that you can get there, which you can't get in the United States. So they are appealing to the region. Three stocks, Steve. You got one you want to add to your watch list? I'm looking at Redfin. I didn't know they were going public. I'm learning something every day here. Hey, that's what we're here for. All right, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 